Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Prokto Rama Shankarshanastvaya Devakya Garbashambandha Kuto Dehantaram Vina My dear Shukadev Goswami, you have already explained that Shankarshan, who belongs to the second quadruple, appeared as the son of Rohini named Balaram. If Balaram was not transferred from one body to another, how is it possible that he was first in the womb of Devaki and then in the womb of Rohini? Kindly explain this to me. Purport by Srila Prabhupada. Here is a question particularly directed at understanding Balaram, who is Shankarshan himself. Balaram is well known as the son of Rohini, yet it is also known that he was the son of Devaki. Parikshit Maharaj wanted to understand the mystery of Balaram being the son of both Devaki and Rohini. <clears throat> Kasman Mukundo Bhagavan Piturge Hadvrajangata Kwavasam Gyadibid Saradham why did Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, leave the house of his father Vasudev and transfer himself to the house of Nanda in Vrindavan? Where did the Lord, the master of the Jadu dynasty, live with his relatives in Vrindavan? Purport by Srila Prabhupada. These are inquiries about the itinerary of Krishna just after his birth in the house of Vasudev in Mathura. Krishna transferred himself to Gokul on the other side of the Jamuna and after some days he moved with his father, mother and other relatives to Nandagram, Vrindavan. Maharaj Parikshit was very much eager to hear about Krishna's activities in Vrindavan. This entire canto of Srimad Bhagavatam is full of activities performed in Vrindavan and Dwarka. The first 40 chapters describe Krishna's Vrindavan pastimes and the next 50 describe Krishna's activities in Dwarka. Maharaj Parikshit, to fulfill his desire to hear about Krishna, requested Shukadev Goswami to describe these activities in full detail. Om Ajnanti Midandasya Gyananjana Chalakaya Chakshurun Militangjena Tasmai Sri Guru Venama Banchakalpatarubhyas Chakripasindubhya Evacha Pratitanam Bhavanebhyo Vaishnavebhyo Namo Namaha Sri Guru Munayasarubhrishtoham Maharaj Parikshit, for the sake of enlightening all of creation, 
with the sweet and beautiful sound vibration of the glorification of the Supreme Godhead, Sri Krishna, is humbly inquiring from Srila Shukadeva Goswami. Previously, Srila Shukadeva Goswami, he glorifies Maharaj Pariksit that your questions are glorious because they are meant for the welfare of all living beings because the subject matter of your questions is Krishna. Srila Prabhupada describes that simply through the process of hearing about Krishna with submissive oral reception <clears throat> this sound vibration washes away all of the impurities in the heart that cover the eternal love that is hidden within us. Therefore, the first important principle in spiritual advancement is to submissively hear Hear the words of Krishna. Hear the glories of Krishna. And hear those things which are in connection to Krishna. Today we are reading from the tenth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. But we find that the first nine cantos described not about Krishna directly so much but his devotees and it is described by all the great acharyas that the process of reading Srimad Bhagavatam is to begin from Canto 1 and step by step very carefully going to the next shloka and then to the next shloka and then to the next shloka until after having passed through all nine cantos under the supervision of a bona fide Guru Maharaj who is explaining according to the conclusions of the transcendental disciplic succession then we are given entrance into hearing in a proper state of mind the tenth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam which describes the celebrated activities of the Lord himself when he appeared on this earth. And in the Srimad Bhagavatam's first nine cantos, we read about Krishna's devotees. How they surrendered everything to him. How they made his will their life and their soul. How they were willing to forsake all the things of this world simply for a glimpse of even a particle of the dust from his lotus feet. In the first canto we read about Narada Muni. How Narada Muni as a young child although he was the son of a widow 
He could not simply leave his mother. Because of the association of great saints and taking their prasad and hearing from them, his only ambition in life was Krishna. And by the arrangement of God, his mother, after being killed by the bite of snake, what did he do? He simply roamed through the cities, through the towns, through the villages, through the agricultural fields, through the dense dark forest, looking for Krishna and Krishna alone. His mind was fixed on Krishna. He was simply thirsting for Krishna. How much do we thirst for Krishna? At Nubrindavan, every day, there is a beautiful verse that is read by all the devotees. We are praying to Krishna that we long for him more than we long for food or drink. Do you know what it, do you remember what it's like when you're very hungry after fasting on Janamastami or Ikadasi near Jal? How you're simply thinking, when will the sun rise so that I can drink water? Ah. Or when will the midnight hour come so I can take some prasad? Your mind is so much fixed. Why do we not thirst like that for Krishna? For such a foolish temporary thing as water. We crave for it. But what is water? It's everywhere, at all times. How crazy and foolish we've become in this conditioned state. We crave for water, but we cannot crave for Krishna. Not to speak of the other things we, we long for in this world. Long for money, long for power, long for comforts, long for protection. Long for another person. But Narada Muni taught us how to long for Krishna. Krishna told him, after he appeared to him, that you have seen me, but for the rest of your life you will not see me. You will simply crave and long and hanker for me and nothing else and no one else for the rest of your life. And through this process you will become purified. His next life he became Narada Muni. And who was he before? He was not a Brahmin. He was the son of a Sudra living in the jungles. He wasn't educated. But by the blessings of the great souls, he learned how to strive for Krishna. And we read in the first canto all about Shukadeva Goswami. He was in the womb for so long. And when he came out, he didn't even consider putting clothes on his body. He left home at birth. 
he simply left home at birth for Krishna. And his father, his mother, he wouldn't listen to them. He simply went out for Krishna. And we read about Dhruva Maharaj, how he went to the forest and such intense, incredible austerities and sacrifice. At the beginning, he was just drinking little water every three days. Taking the leaves to drop from the trees. Ultimately, he was only breathing once every so many days. What did he care for any of the things of this world? He was simply anxious for Krishna. And we find that all of these great souls, there is also Prahlad, against all opposition, all persecution, he didn't care what anyone thought of him. He didn't care what anyone did to him. His only concern was one-pointed, Krishna, how to please Krishna. And through the lives of all of these great personalities we read of in the Bhagavata, we find where did they get this inspiration from hearing from the great souls. Narada Muni heard from the sages in the forest. Juva Maharaj heard from his mother. Go to the forest. That's where they find Krishna. If you, want, if you want to fulfill your desires, you should worship Krishna. Shukadeva Goswami heard from his father the pastimes of Krishna. Prahlad Maharaj, in the womb of his mother, heard from Narada Muni about Krishna. So really, in essence, the first nine cantos of the Srimad Bhagavatam teach us how to follow in the footsteps of the great souls, how to hear about Krishna, and how to apply those teachings to our life. How to sacrifice our life for the fulfillment of the instruction of the great devotees of the Lord. And of course, Maharaj Pariksit he is truly the well-wisher of all living beings because he is asking these questions by the arrangement of God for our sake. And here he is describing how Balaram, his birth was most astonishing he wants further detail. Notice how in the 10th canto, chapter 1 of the Bhagavatam, he's first inquiring about Balaram. Then he inquires about Krishna. This is very significant because Balaram is the original spiritual master. 
He is the original spiritual master because he is the first expansion to serve the purpose of assisting Krishna in his pleasurable pastimes. And a spiritual master, in simple terms, is simply one whose life and soul is to assist Krishna in his pleasurable pastimes. Lord Nityananda, it describes by Vrindavandas Thakur in the Chaitanya Bhagavad, that one who tries to approach Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu without first begging for the mercy of Lord Nityananda is in a hopeless condition. Similarly, without gaining entrance to the mercy of Krishna through the blessings of Lord Balaram and his representative, the spiritual master, it is not possible to understand in truth and in essence what is Krishna, who is Krishna, what his teachings actually mean. After all, here in India, this is the land of the Bhagavad Gita, and there are so many millions of people who have read Bhagavad Gita. But only those who have heard submissively with the blessings of Balaram and his representative can understand in truth. If you want to understand the truth, this is the process. To approach Guru, to inquire submissively, that is the most important step. And to render service. And of course, however great a devotee becomes in his spiritual purification, he never dares think that he's beyond the first step of hearing submissively. Shukadev Goswami, you have already explained that Shankarshan, who belongs to the second quadruple, appeared as the son of Rohini named Balaram. If Balaram was not transferred from one body to another, how is it possible that he was first in the womb of Devaki and then in the womb of Rohini? Kindly explain this to me. Rohini, who it is here inquired about, her relationship with Balaram as mother, and at the same time, it has already been it is already been understood by Maharaj Pariksit that Balaram was in the womb of Devaki. So he's wondering, how is it that he has two mothers? Balaram, mother Rohini Nandan and Devaki Nandan. The Lord arranges his pastimes in such a way that they are utterly fascinating to one's mind, to one's intelligence, to one's entire being. Rohini has a very special position because in the whole Leela of the Lord, 
Besides Krishna and Balaram, Rohini is the only person who is both a Yadu and a Gopi, a Brujabasi. As you know, when Krishna and Balaram left Brindavan, did any of the other Brijabhasis go with them to Matra, to Dwarka? They all stayed in Vrindavan and simply wept in such separation for the rest of their lives. And of all of the Brijabhasis, the gopis, they were submerged in the deepest part of the ocean of separation. Rohini Devi was a gopi. She was one of the most prominent of the gopis. She was the best friend of Mother Jashoda. And yet, besides Krishna Balaram, she was the only one that was allowed to go to live with him in Dwarka for the rest of their lives. And therefore, Rohini has a very special position because she, more than anyone else, knew the anguish of intense separation of the residents of Vrindavan. And even while living in Dwarka, Sanatana Goswami explains, she was always thinking, my best friend, Mother Jashoda, and Sri Radharani, who used to cook so nice for us, how much they're suffering. I'm here enjoying with Krishna and Balaram, and how much they're suffering. Nobody knows, but I know. I know how when Krishna would go out to herd the cows with his friends in the day, Mother Jashoda, the other gopis, in separation from Krishna for those hours, they were practically going mad, becoming crazy of mind. A moment seemed like 12 years or more. And now, Krishna, for over 100 years, they're simply waiting for him. Her deep, deep love and attachment to Balaram and Krishna and all of the devotees of the Lord was the decoration which made her supremely beautiful and which was her qualification for being the mother of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. You see, we find any of these devotees who have such an exalted position, what quality they have. Devaki, how she was willing to have children for seven years continuously and see them killed before her eyes and remain in a prison cell for practically 10 years and then after Krishna was born they were put back in a prison cell 
because that's what it took to serve Krishna. That was her qualification. And Yashoda, after Krishna was only about 12 years old, he left Vrindavan. And for over a hundred years, she simply lamented in the longing of separation. But Rohini, how special she was. Although she was with Krishna in Dwarka for all those years, with Balaramji, she was always longing in empathy for the separation of the bridge buses. And it is described by Srila Sanatana Goswami that she would always be trying to convince Krishna to go back to Vrindavan. Of course, if he went, she, sh she could also go. She was Brijabasi as well. But even if Vasudev wanted her to stay, she was always thinking more about the other devotees. So this is a very great lesson. How devotees should always be thinking more about how other devotees could be Krishna conscious. How to help others come closer to Krishna. This should be our great meditation. And of course, we must capture this spirit. This is the Brijabhasi spirit. The Brijabhasi spirit is how to put ourselves in a position where we can bring others nearer and dearer to Krishna. How we can make that sacrifice. Bring others nearer and dearer to our spiritual master as the representative of Krishna. So in the coming chapters, we will read the beautiful, illustrious story of Lord Krishna's divine Leela in Mathura and Vrindavan. Is there any questions? story of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati. He was asked the same question and he answered by telling a story about the wedding procession. Huh? The bridegroom 
had a party. Everyone from his village, and they were going to the bride's village for the wedding. And it was supposed to start early the next morning. To get there was an overnight boat ride over the river. So the whole party of the bridegroom boarded a boat and told the boatman that you must get us across by sunrise tomorrow. He said, no problem. I, I promise you will be there by sunrise tomorrow. And he started rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing. And when they saw how hard and how anxious he was to fulfill his mission, everyone in the bridegroom's party thought, ah, we can rest in peace tonight and be fresh for the morning. And they all went to sleep. And they had nice night's sleep. And then the sun started rising and they got up ready to enjoy the nice wedding. And they looked and they were in the same place they were the night before. And there was a panic. What happened? Why are we still here? And the boatman was looking around. He said, I've been rowing all night. I don't understand. And then someone noticed that he forgot to pull up the anchor. And therefore, despite all their efforts, they did not move. So Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur explains that this is the condition of so many devotees. They are working very hard, hearing the glories of the Lord, chanting the glories of the Lord. But the anchor of material attachments, they're not willing to give up. We have to detach ourselves. Vairagya Vidya Nija Bhakti Yoga Shikshashtameka Purusha Pura Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has come to teach three things. Knowledge, which comes by hearing. The next step is detachment. The fruit of knowledge initially is detachment. We detach ourselves from the things which are not conducive to the awakening of Krishna consciousness. Or as Srila Rupa Goswami has simply said, accept things favorable for devotional service and reject things unfavorable. And through such knowledge and detachment, we understand the process of bhakti or devotional service. And from devotional service, the fruit of love of God, Krishna Prema is awakened. So first of all, we must very scrutinizingly take inventory of our own consciousness. How much we are still attached. How much we are still clinging, holding on to our attachments. To be attached in the conditioned state is natural. But we should be striving to become detached. That does not mean simply giving up your responsibilities in this world. It means not being attached to the fruits of your action. Not being attached to your money. Not being attached 
to your social position. Now everybody has some social position and everybody's proud of it. Whether one's the prime minister, or whether one's a very wealthy businessman, or whether one's a great athlete or singer or movie star, or whether one is sleeping in a little potato bag on the sidewalks in Chopati, Bombay. Amongst peers, everyone has some reason to be proud of their position, right? Ah, I, I got, I obtained four rupees in bakshish, you only obtained three. You become infatuated, what a good bakshish collector I am. Huh? Or I'm stronger than you, or this is my land, this is my part of the sidewalk. From the biggest to the smallest, everyone is proud of their social position and trying to hold on to something, right? Unless we're striving to become detached from that. It's like an anchor. We may be attached, but we have to be striving to be detached. Krishna sees our desire. So that is the inventory we must take. How much we are trying to please our Guru and the Vaishnavas first and please ourselves second. Huh? If you really examine and investigate that question, you may find that there's a lot to be worked on. Huh? And of course, if we are sincerely and carefully internally seeking higher purifications through this process of hearing and deliberating and investigating our own consciousness in the light of what we hear and striving in the proper direction, then it will still take time. Why? Because a conditioned soul, if anything comes easy, we take it cheaply. And Krishna does not want us to take him cheaply. He could give us pure love in a moment if he wanted to. But if he did, we would take it cheaply. we would not be grateful. People are not really deeply grateful for things that they think they deserve. If you buy something from the market, are you really, from the bottom of your heart, grateful to the merchant that gave it to you, sold it to you? Huh? Why? Because you paid for it. But if somebody gives you millions of times more than what you could ever pay for, simply out of love. Are you grateful? Therefore, first Krishna wants to prove to you that pure love of God 
pure Krishna consciousness is so exalted, it is so great, it is so far from you. And we have so many bad qualities, so many impediments, so little to give. Then we understand the value of pure devotional service. <coughs> and then when Krishna does give it, you recognize that it is only by his inconceivable, causeless mercy, it's not by any of my own qualities or efforts. Huh? Then you're really and truly grateful. Then you have some idea of the infinite value of pure devotional service. Huh? And then only can you immerse your consciousness in the ecstasy that Krishna wants to give you. If you give up, that is our misfortune. Krishna puts his devotee in the Christian school, they call it the dark night of the soul. Where we come to the stage where Lord Chaitanya explained in his Shikshastakam that bereft of your sight, Govinda, this whole world is nothing but a dreary void. Huh? Where everything is meaningless without Krishna. And because I don't have Krishna, I don't have anything. If you think you have something, then you're unfortunate. First you have to realize that without Krishna I have nothing and I don't have Krishna. Do you know how painful that is? That's the stage just before you have Krishna. Krishna plans it that way. So that when you get him, when he reveals that pure sentiment of bhakti, you will cherish it with such a gracious heart for the rest of eternity. Huh? Yes? attract someone to Krishna Consciousness. Krishna says, Manusya nam sahasri shukashti jatati shadaya. Out of thousands of men, 
one is attracted to Krishna consciousness. But after that initial attraction, then you realize what it means, little by little you begin to realize what it means to surrender. When we first come, we just think, oh, if I just chant and dance, I'll go back to Godhead. That's true. But at the beginning, we have a superficial understanding of what it means to chant and dance. And later on, when Krishna starts smashing your ego and smashing your various situations in life, when, if you're still chanting and dancing, then you'll go back to God. In other words, in that state, you're taking shelter of the holy name. You're taking shelter of the divine kirtan of the Lord. That is the price. See, anyone could just come and just be inspired to just do like this. That's the beginning. But to take shelter to take refuge on the holy name of Krishna and the association of devotees who are chanting his name to cry out in that consciousness that is Krishna consciousness First thing is you have to give up the illusion that you have the power to remove this anchor in your heart. This anchor is more difficult for you to move than for an insect to move the Himalayan mountain ranges. At the beginning we think, yes, yes, I will follow the process and remove this anchor from my heart. That's good, you have that ambition. This is what Mahaprabhu is talking about. At the beginning we think, yes, I will just chant, dance and take the anchor out. But as you chant and dance, you realize what this anchor really is, how heavy it is, and how deeply it's sunk into the bottom of the ocean of your material conditioning. Ah. And then when you chant, you're no longer trying to take the anchor out. You're just trying, calling out, Krishna, take it. <laughs> I can't do it. I don't have a chance. I'm yours. From this day, I'm yours, Krishna. That is the process of learning how to surrender, to take shelter, to depend on Krishna whose mercy is coming through the instructions of Gurudeva. Those instructions teaching us how to think, how to eat, how to chant, how to associate with others, all classes of men and women.
In this way, Krishna's mercy is coming through his words and by living according to those instructions, we learn how to take shelter of Krishna. We learn how to chant the holy name of the Lord in a humble state of mind, more tolerant than tree, more humble than grass. By doing that in a service spirit, you are putting your life in the hands of God. Particularly, you are putting your life in the hands of Srimati Radharani, who is the goddess of devotional service. She is the exclusive proprietor of all devotional service. Whatever service we get is only being shared through her mercy. So the spiritual master is teaching us how by engaging in the process of devotional service we're simply putting our, self, our lives in the hands of Sri Radharani <coughs> and Sri Krishna. And by putting yourself completely at the disposal of Guru and Krishna By their causeless mercy, we are released from the ocean of material bondage. Hmm? So no, by driving your van, you cannot free yourself from material attachments. Now, Krishna, you do what you want with me. I'm yours. I'm driving this van. I'm yours. Now, do what you like. Huh? This is the consciousness we must develop. mind is always fooling you. You can know that your mind is fooling you. <laughs> know it for certain at every moment your mind is fooling you. That's the beginning of taking shelter of the order of Guru is when you know that your mind is fooling you. If you have any faith in your mind to that extent you cannot have faith in Guru and Krishna. So, we make mistakes. We should try to perfectly carry out the order of our Guru. Krishna is in your heart. He knows when you're cheating, 
and when you're just overwhelmed by your previous conditionings. Krishna knows that. And Krishna arranges our life in such a way that we make so many mistakes. Because if we didn't, do you know how proud we would become? But we shouldn't fall down on purpose. But Krishna will arrange for you to make so many mistakes out of his mercy to protect you from the crocodile jaws of pride. So just accept the fact that I'm a fallen soul. Now let me just with all my might surrender to my capacity to the order of Guru and Krishna. We have made vows. We must be willing to give our lives to maintain the integrity of the vows we have made for the pleasure of Krishna and for the dignity of our spiritual master. That should be our ambition. But mistakes will be made. Learn from your mistakes. It's part of the process of purification. Do not be discouraged. Is there any other question? Just accept that you're a fool. <laughs> you have no capacity to understand what number you are. <laughs> you're just a fool, that's all. In your own eyes, you should see yourself as fool number one because you should be analyzing your own foolishness more than you analyze anybody else's. So that will naturally make you number one. It's like Lord Jesus said before, pointing out the speck in another person's eye, take the tree out of your own eye. So if we're always looking at other people's specs, then we'll think, well, maybe actually I'm fool number 108. <laughs> but if you're ignoring the specs in other eyes, and you're just meditating on this tree in my own eye, then you realize that I'm fool number one. <coughs> when you stop judging others, and try to purify yourself. Try to purify others. Try to help others, but don't judge others. Judge yourself. Then naturally you become fool number one, in your eyes. Huh? In fact, you become the only fool. 
You become number one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> every day. I'm just a fool. I take every, every place. Just a fool. Huh? As far as what number Krishna puts on you, that you'll never understand. After all, we're not competing with others to be a fool. <laughs> it's not like I must attain the position of number one. That Krishna sees you as fool number one, but I'm going to do something where Krishna knows that I'm fool. No, what it means is you're just this is in your own calculations because you're just completely immersed in seeing the good qualities in others and trying to purify the bad qualities in yourself. Do you understand? And the more advanced you become, the more you become like that. Sanatana Goswami, he was the greatest Vaishnava. He was Rati Manjari, from one of the closest associates of Sri Radharani and Lord Sri Krishna, Goloka Vrindavan. And yet he approached Chaitanya Mahaprabhu with a very serious and honest heart that I am fool number one. In his mind, he was. Krishnadas Kaviraj, he said, every Vaishnava is better than me. I'm the lowest. I'm the most fallen. I'm lower than a worm in stool. He would not judge a worm in stool. What to speak of another devotee? But he would judge himself very carefully to find out his faults and try to be a better devotee, a better servant. That is why Rupa Goswami explains one of the symptoms of a great devotee is he does not find faults in others. For preaching sometimes a devotee may point out certain things for his disciples' welfare or for others' welfare. But as far as comparing ourselves to somebody else, a devotee never finds fault with another. The question is, are you saying it in such a way that I am better than you because I come? Or are you saying it like a doctor to his patient, that this is your disease, this is the cure? If you're saying it in that mood, you should say it. The doctor doesn't think I'm better than the patient. 
The doctor is simply trying to help the patient. When, when criticizing another is done in any spirit of pride, then you should not say anything. But if it is sincerely and as far as our capacity, genuinely we understand that we're trying to help another, then that is not finding fault. That is not in any way finding fault. devotee may take it, may not take it, but we should evaluate how, what we say, whether it will be productive to help that person become Krishna conscious. If it's not going to be productive, what is the use of saying it? We should not unnecessarily disturb other people's minds. Unless by disturbing their mind, we feel and we see that there's going to be a positive reaction. Hmm? In some cases, if you're preaching to that person only forces him further from the association of devotees, which sometimes is the case, better to preach by your own example and show him kindness and love. Don't criticize. In other words, do whatever is necessary to bring that person closer to Krishna. In other words, you are his servant. If finding fault is the best way to serve him, it's not finding fault, it's really correcting. There's a difference between finding fault and correcting. If correcting that person is the best way you can serve him, then correct. If simply being kind to that person is the best way, then you should do that. We should consider ourselves the, the servant of even the most fallen. We should never consider ourselves better. We should never consider ourselves in a position to judge. We are just the servant. So here we are back to long classes and long kirtans again. <laughs> Sure, you may have gotten some good rest in the last four months. <laughs> Very happy to be back with you. Your kindness has become my life and soul. Hare Krishna. Next is a 15-minute talk by Radhanath Maharaj on his arrival at Bombay on 12th October 1991. my great pleasure and fortune that by the causeless mercy of Sri Sri Radha Gopinath that I am in your holy association once again. Thank you very much. love of devotees is the greatest achievement 
that one can attain in this world and the greatest fortune as well because by the association of devotees in the spirit of love and trust the field of our heart is perfectly situated so that the seed of Krishna consciousness can grow into the flower of pure devotional service. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has explained that in the Vedas there are three topics discussed. First is Sambandha which is the establishment of our connection to Krishna. Sanatana Goswami amongst the followers of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is considered the guru for this process of Sambandha. And by his own example, in teaching us how he worshipped Sri Sri Radhamadan Mohan, he has set the standard of how by establishing a connection with Krishna, he attracts our consciousness away from the attachments of this mortal world of birth and death. We are all endlessly filled with innumerable varieties of material longings, hankerings, and lamentations. But when we establish our connection to Krishna, Sri Madan Mohan, he attracts our minds away from the things of this world. That is the beginning of Krishna Consciousness. And Lord Sri Mahaprabhu explained that the second principle is Abhideya, which means how to act according to that relationship with Krishna. That is by engaging in the process of devotional service, which begins with hearing in the association of devotees, the words of Krishna and the examples hearing about the great devotees of the Lord throughout our history and hearing the process of how to engage our body, mind, words and life in the service of the Lord. Srila Rupa Goswami especially was ordained to be by Sri Mahaprabhu the guru for this principle of Abhideya. Through his example of worshipping Govinda Dev, the Lord who gives supreme pleasure to our senses. 
And the third and final goal of the Vedas is prayojana, pure love of God. This is the highest. This is the ultimate realization of the absolute truth. And Srila Raghunath Das Goswami was especially ordained by Mahaprabhu to be the guru teaching how to live in this world always saturated in ecstatic love of God. But it is interesting because although Raghunath Das Goswami is considered in the highest position, Raghunath Das Goswami considered Rupa Goswami to be his superior in all respects. He adored Rupa Goswami, praised Rupa Goswami, and humbled himself always at the feet of Rupa Goswami. And in his writings, again and again, he's humbling his head at the lotus feet of Srila Rupa Goswami. And Srila Rupa Goswami considered Sanatan Goswami his spiritual master. In the spiritual state of consciousness, the highest takes the lowest position. Rupa Goswami explains that anyone who is the slightest bit attached to distinction, to being a high position, that person is not fit to live in Vrindavan. We were just in um, the holy lands of the Christians and Judaic religions, as well as Islam, Jerusalem, Israel. And one beautiful statement by Lord Jesus was that he who considers himself highest is lowest in the eyes of God. And he who considers himself lowest is highest in the eyes of God. So the beauty of the association of devotees is when we follow in the footsteps of the Goswamis. Which means always trying to take the lowest position to serve all of our God-brothers, our God-sisters, all the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. Bantra kalpa tarubyas cha Shri Gopinath's temple is more beautiful than I've ever seen. Gopinath is simply exhibiting to the world just one drop of the devotion 
of his devotees. Now that we have this beautiful Vrindavan atmosphere, let us live in this spirit of Vrindavan. Vrindavan is the place <clears throat> where everyone is simply attached to glorifying Krishna. where everyone is simply depending on the mercy of Krishna. When the demons come, everyone says, Hare Krishna. And when everything is perfect and all right, just the way we like it, everyone says, Hare Krishna. This is Vrindavan. Or in every situation of life, we see it as an opportunity to glorify Krishna. So we have to be very awake to chant the name of Krishna. And I think now it's time for chanting Hare Krishna. 